We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello and welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Dean Austin. Dean is the current assistant coach at Northampton Town. He's made 124 appearances for Tottenham Hotspur in the Premier League between 1992 and 98. He also played four seasons with Crystal Palace. And moved on to the coaching side where he worked alongside Steve Koppel, Brendan Rodgers, Slavisa, Djokanovic, Jimmy Floyd, Castlebank, and Kike Flores at Watford. Done his UEFA Pro license, learned Spanish, still involved in youth soccer, even as a professional coach. Uh, really enjoyed this conversation with Dean. So we talk about you know, what he learned as a pro and, and how environments have changed in the modern game how social media has changed young players' mentalities, uh, how we can manage setbacks as a coach, and just ideas on how to grow and challenge ourselves as coaches a little bit more. So Dean is outstanding in his, not only in his insight and experiences, but also in, in almost prodding coaches for questions and what we're doing and how we can get better. So hope you enjoy it. Feel free to, to give it a little tweet, a little plug on social media. Always appreciate it. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Dean, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Appreciate your time and, and uh, coming on the show. Nice pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. Um, first question, you, you played in an era that obviously football, we're all saying football changed, the, the Premier League, there was big differences in the, in the finances and then there's the professionalism, sports science, etc., etc. Um, yeah. Did you feel this happening at the time or was it, is it kind of with the value of hindsight? No, I think that it didn't change immediately. I don't think too much changed immediately. I think after the Premier League, I mean, the Premier League started in 92. That was the year I signed the Spurs. I don't think there was too much change, uh, to be honest with you, from from um, from how it was done previously. But gradually, uh, bit by bit, I think the first thing that uh, started to change was more the medical side really, which obviously uh, incorporates the sports science side. But I think that was how it changed originally. I mean, to be fair, Tottenham, I think, 96 or 97, Christian Gross was the manager and he bought his own um, he bought his own uh, sports science type guy in, fitness coach, uh, and who he'd worked with at, at Grasshoppers in Zurich. So I think that probably... Uh, the foreign clubs might have been started a little bit earlier than what we did, you know. Because now we look at foreign coaches, and it's almost everyone has to have a foreign coach. But back yeah. back then, was it was it how much scepticism, you know, especially with someone like Christian Gross? Was how did players view him? Um, I think that um, <clears throat> you know he was very. Um, I, I think what sometimes can happen is that when something's a big a big change from what you are doing then players will either go one way or another with it. So, like, Arsene Wenger come over in 96 and kind of changed the face of Arsenal. And, and But the 
of players bought into what he wanted to do and they were successful why they started doing it. The problem becomes is that if you're not winning games and you're not successful along the way of doing it, you start doing things like where the players now are working off a six-day week rather than a five-day week where the Sundays, they're not off on a Sunday and there's no day off in the week. And that's when, I think, with anything that you do within the professional game, um, it's, it's different because it's all about results. It's a results-based business, isn't it? You know, um, From a point of view as a manager, um, so I think where Arsene done well was that he changed the players bought into the ideas but they also won along the way the problem probably a little bit with Tottenham was that Christian came in the team was struggling and he's changing his regime and decided to go right bang full on from day one and the team's now not now not winning and then that becomes when the, the, the scepticism I think comes in mm. Do you think that scepticism still exists today? Is it just a professional thing? I think that um, some clubs you can go to where there, there might be a better culture with a better set of individuals that have a better team spirit that will take things on board and be able to do what you want them to do. Uh, and I think with others, um, the scepticism is, is still will still be there at certain places, but I feel that scepticism can sometimes come from players that are dishonest, mm. in my view. Mm. Is, that, is that a lack of <clears throat> self-awareness? Is that, does that go with their ability? or where do you... I think that sometimes it can be something to try and uh, deflect off personal performance. Mm. Um, not necessarily ability. You know, Players that are at clubs are at clubs because the clubs feel that they're good enough to be there. I think that it's very, very easy, you know, that um, I always believe that, you know, we always talk about it within the dressing room that we're at now, as in regards to the staff, that we always look at ourselves. When, when we don't play as well or whatever, we always take it personally. We always look at ourselves before we look at the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, players don't look at themselves, they look at the manager. Can a captain do that? Yeah, I think... I think that you need um, you need a certain type of uh, a certain type of player, a certain type of individual, or a group of individuals that uh, can handle can handle that type of information. I think that a lot of the uh, a lot of the players now struggle. You, you know, being a um, being a manager, I, I especially think. When you're at a level, I think you you're a manager, you're a guide, you're a you're a father figure, you're a psychologist, you know, and you've got to put whatever hat on you have to put on, and you have to put a different hat on for certain individuals. Mm. Whenever uh, sports psychology, for example, was there, you know, we we talk about it as if it's just been invented, but was how did managers approach? Was, was there almost a blanket approach to manager to coaching with team talks, man management back in the nineties? Yeah, I think that you had. Um, I mean, I were lucky. I mean, I played. I, I played for uh, a guy who was probably the most influential, who, who's been the biggest influence on me as a coach in in all in my whole career. Who was very, very, very clever. Was um, a real thinker. Um, and his man management skills and how he dealt with people was was the best that I've probably seen, and that was Terry Venables. Um, 
But I think that, you know, now when you go on courses and, you know, when you do your A licence and then you complete your pro and, and now there's a whole module um, on psychology. And when you actually break it down, and, and listen, so many things are, are psychological in this game now. Um, obviously, it's not. it was never really touched on back in those days. Um, that I think that, you know, you look at how much how much the time that we spend preparing on, on the game and on the training and what we do and this, that and the other, and how much time do we actually prepare or use the psychology for? It's a very, very, very low percentage. Mm. Um, I think it is important. I do, my personal view is that I think it's more individual. I think that, you know, some, um, some individuals might like it, some individuals might not. I don't believe that it's something that you ram down someone's throat and tell them that they've got to do this and they've got to do that because when they are, regardless if you're if you're adults and you and you are you're within the professional game, then I think that it has to come. It, it needs to come from the individual. The individual, I think, you've got to make it available, but the individual's got to want to do it. Mm-hmm. When again, another word, culture, that's thrown around today as if it's just been invented last week. What? What type of environment was there at Spurs in the nineties, and how was the leadership structured? Um, I think that when we went there, the culture was um, had been set. There was um, the manager had set that culture. You knew where the line was, and you didn't. You, you went in every day, and you got on with your work. There was a very, very good team spirit. There was a core group of players that potentially would uh, not run the dressing room, but they would sort of, if you stepped out of line, they'd be quick to tell you that you stepped out of line and, and you didn't do it and, you, and you, you didn't go there. I think that, you know, back in, you know, unfortunately now, I mean, you know, laying myself bare, the things that we used to get up to and the pranks that we used to get up to in regards to back in our day or in, in the 90s and whatever, you can't get away with now because of social media. And that is where you like the players now, the pressure is such on the players now. Um, when you're a top-level footballer, you, um, you, you have a, a code of conduct or, or, or a way that you have to... Um, you have to conduct yourself and you have to conduct yourself properly because if you don't, it is, uh, um, you know, now with social media, it, it can come back and bite you. Mm-hmm. Speaking of social media, there was, uh, you recently commented on the work ethic of Atelio Lombardo and Jurgen Klinsmann um, during a conversation. Can you, can you talk about the impact that that had on you as a player? <coughs> Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I've and I say this to um, I say this to the young kids that you know I I, I have um, an academy down in in Hertfordshire that I I run on a Monday night. I'm involved in the grassroots club where my three young boys love to go and play football, and you know I said to them that I see many many a footballer that you know you're much better than what I was when I was playing. I say it to pros now, you know you you have um, you have more talent. You have more talent than what I have or what I had, um, and you have more talent than a lot of players that I played with in the Premier League. But I'm not sure about the mentality, the mentality, and the attitude, and and you know, I think that the, the, the rewards are so big now. 
you know, that if you conduct yourself in the right way and you're the most professional that you can be and that you take advantage of every single thing that is made available to you by by uh, the clubs, <clears throat> I think it's only you that can fail yourself. Obviously, you need to be lucky with injuries and, and you know, stay fit and healthy, but there's more... There's more stuff to help you do that now than what there's ever been. Obviously, you can get your freak injuries. But what these guys what these guys did was that they were coming in and doing things that we were all laughing about that now, you know, players players have to do it. Part of their their daily schedule. But these guys were on their own. They would go in and do it, you know. You know for example, I talk about Attilio. Uh Attilio was the last one I played with, but Attilio would be would be at the training ground by half past eight in the morning. You know, players were coming in at half past nine and two minutes to ten and getting ready to train at ten thirty. Attilio would be in the Attilio would be in the gym by nine o'clock. You know, he'd be in the gym, he'd be doing pre activation and stretching and massages and what have you. The guy who took his job seriously would actually be doing these things, getting himself ready to get himself to go out and train properly. And when he went out and trained he went out and trained. He went out and trained as he as he wanted to play the game. Um, it's funny actually. I had a laugh. I, I saw him at a game last year at Fulham, and uh, we had a chat and a, and a hug and a, and a laugh and a joke, you know, about the old days. But this guy was um, was something else. Jurgen was pretty much the same. Jurgen was a uh, uh, quite quite an introverted character, but he. Um, he really like he, he he gelled in with the lads. He, he you know he, he got in with the guys. Um, he was a, a real good teammate in that side. But he he led by example. You know the the way that he went about it. He was a good trainer. You know we would talk about things that we'd have to do physically. You know sessions like for example with Jerry Francis where without the ball, but you know we were the fittest team around at that time at Spurs in 94, 95 under Jerry Francis. We had a lot of injuries, but we were, in regards to the team, we were one of the fittest teams around. And Jürgen bought, he bought into that. It was no ball work or anything like that in regards to a certain day of the week. He did it and he would be, and he'd be up at the front. He was, the guy was a machine. In regards to how he trained, you know, he used to train very seriously, um, was always practising, always practising his finishing, you know, you could do a cross and finishing session and he wouldn't score a goal because of the things that he'd be trying. He'd be trying different techniques or whatever or try and finish in different ways. But when it comes to the game, if he got a chance, you turn around and went back and you knew he was going to be in the back of the net, you know. Mm. It's just the, uh, I think it's the application. The application and the mentality that they uh, that they conduct themselves with. Yeah, I love, I love seeing and studying what successful people at that level have in common. And it's, yeah. you mentioned their dressing rooms can be very, very tough places to stand out and be different. So you need yeah. certain strength of character. If you're going to come in and, and do yoga or get in at half six, you've got to be mentally very, very strong to sustain that through an environment where you're going to be judged, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I find it, uh, you know, I've been in dressing rooms where I, I find it in coaching, where I find it frustrating where, the players are asked to come in at half nine now to be in an hour before we start training. And I find it frustrating when they start moaning when they get asked to come in 15 minutes earlier. Mm. 
you know, for 9.15, just because there's not enough time in the morning for the physio and, and the fitness coach to be able to see them and strappings and this, that and the other. And you want to make sure that your pre-activation starts at 10 o'clock because we're going to start training at 10.30 on the field. And, you know, I find it very, very frustrating, those type of things, because, you know, being in football, being in football, uh, you know, as a player, is the best job. It's the best job in the world. And, and people don't. Uh, it's the best job, but it can be the worst job uh, when you've got, you know, you've got a loss of form or you're playing really badly or you're lacking confidence or, you know, um, or you're injured. You know, it is, it's a roller coaster ride. But in regards to when you're fit and you're playing, it's the best job in the world. Mm. It's a job that everyone would love to be able to do. But it's, for me, it's something that you have to go, well, this is my profession and I'm going to be serious about it. And I, this is it. It's a way of life. It's not a normal job like a nine-to-five job, but the rewards can be very, very large if you do it right. So I find a little bit uh, frustrating within uh, when I hear people moaning about about having to come in 15 minutes earlier at court past nine because, oh, they've got to do this. And do it. I find it very difficult to... Uh, I find it very difficult to be able to accept, like, you know. It's, yeah. it, I find it quite frustrating. When, when you play with someone who conduct themselves like that and who train like that and perform like that, is that always going to have a bigger impact than a coach with new ideas or carrying themselves a certain way? I think it's both. I think it's both. I think if, if uh, you know, I think that if you have, if you, if you have a, a coach, I think with anything, I always say this to people, that as a coach, in the modern day game, you probably got two weeks. Forget what you've done in your life. Forget who you are. Forget whether you're Dean Austin, Jurgen Klinsmann, Donald Trump, whoever it is, and whatever you've done previously. I think now, when you go into an environment, if you're a head coach or something like that, I think the players will basically give you a couple of weeks to see what you're about. And then they will then look at, right, can they, selfishly, they'll look and go, right, what can this guy do for me? Is this guy going to improve me? Is this guy authentic? Is this guy consistent? Is this guy, um, is, is, his, is, is he, is he uh, does he do what he says on the team? Mm-hmm. And I think then, you know, that then, if you can show those qualities, then I think that then that gets you the respect, and then it's uh, um, and then I think you can then begin to look at um, uh, achieving, uh, achieving more or getting more from people. Mm. So but ultimately, I think people have to be happy. Mm. I think, that, to be honest with you, I think to to have to, for footballers to have good footballers, I think to have good footballers, you've got to have an happy environment. I think players have to enjoy what they are doing. I don't think players can enjoy. I don't think players play as well that are not enjoying what they're doing. Have we? Do we forget about that as coaches? Whenever we we start to talk about environments and cultures and leadership, do we kind of forget about the fun these days? Um, Overlook. Yeah, it? I mean, I think I think that we do. I think you. I think it's it's harder to. I think it's harder to get away. I think it's harder to get away with it when you're in a first-team environment because everything is always about the result. Unfortunately, 
You know, you talk about, if you talk to 90% of the managers, they'll all go around, well, okay, well, yeah, we didn't do this well, we didn't do that well, we need to improve this or we need to improve that. But ultimately, the result will will be the deciding, fa- uh, deciding factor. I always go back, for me, this is one of the reasons why I continue to, to, um, to, to coach kids. I find it, I find it really, really good for the soul. Um, I, I always want to help people, so I want to give something back. Um, I always want to try and help people improve. You can experiment. You can experiment more with younger kids. You can get more ideas. If you, it depends if you're a creative person or a non-creative person. I see myself as a creative person. So I like to be able to do it. And just because I'm in love with the game. So I, I, I love to take the opportunities to be able to do things that I, that I enjoy doing. When you were a club captain at Crystal Palace, did, did the role of... Did that role change with the influx of foreign players too, and or did lo- did locker rooms, dressing rooms become harder to manage? I think that I was. Um, I think if I was saying that I was club captain at Tottenham in ninety in in the period that I was captain at Crystal Palace, I would have said it had been a lot more difficult because there's a, there was a lot more foreign players and there was a lot more egos. Um, when I was at Crystal Palace, there was. Uh, three or four foreign players, but very, very good lads. Um, but then there was an influx. We had an influx of young players that were coming through. And they basically tagged on, really, to the example that we really set. So it was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I found it a little bit different. I think that um, I think it's very hard... For, uh, I was a character of one of those that I was never. I never had any best mates when I when I was, for example, when I was club captain of Crystal Palace. I never had any best mates. I got on with everybody, but I wasn't frightened to tell someone if I didn't feel that they were putting the shift in. I don't think you have that type of character in the game anymore now. The 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 players are uh, are a bit a bit a bit nicer to each other all the time and. It's not really one of those. Uh, it's, the dressing rooms aren't really an environment now where a player will want to tell a, a, a teammate or or one of his mates that you know you ain't pulling your weight today, fella. Mm. I don't think you get that anymore. That's that's definitely over here in the US. That's the same applies. That's a trait that's missing in locker rooms today. That people that accountability. What yeah. way do you yeah. think that is? Why are we reluctant today? I think that sometimes I, I, I think it's the type of player that we produce that we're producing definitely in this com- this country. Um, I think that sometimes I think you know, regards to the younger ages, people are frightened about saying anything because, or so, sometimes strong characters. There's strong characters out there, but sometimes they're frightened to say anything because it can be seen as bullying or or, or whatever. And I think a lot of it. Comes from um, can, can come from the coach as well. Sometimes the coaches now, and because the head coaches, especially at the at the first team level, they've got to they have to win games. On I keep saying about it. I mean, it's not you know we all have our way of how we want to of how we would want to try and do it, but people have to win games, and I don't know whether they they want that type of confrontation within a dressing room. Mm. Your background of working up the lower leagues to to become a Premier League player was it you know outside looking in it 
it's it shouts like resilience, hunger, desire. Talking about the academies today, are we are we developing players without those qualities? Um, I think so. I do think so. If someone was going to describe me, I think you probably describe me pretty well there with the words that you use regards to myself. Um, because I had to deal with a hell of a lot of rejection uh, as a young player. I think that um, it was very interesting. Actually, I went on a on an LMA um, excellence seminar last uh, Wednesday with uh, and John. It was at Tottenham's training ground with John McDermott and uh, a guy uh, from the German uh, Football Federation. It was I love things like that. It was very very interesting in this that, and the other, uh, but. John spoke, um, John McDermott spoke really, really well about the things that they do at Tottenham and how they do it and how they try and uh, develop their young players to keep them hungry and, you know, the, the different things that they do and, you know, the jobs that they have to do and, and, and really about sort of trying to set, trying to set these boys up ready for, for life mm-hmm. as, not only necessarily for being a professional footballer, because as John says, it's going to be a very, very small percentage of boys that are going to get to the level, and he had the two boys on the field, or, or the two boys on the screen, uh, Harry Kane and Harry Winks. He said there's going to be very, very few boys that get to this level. So what about the rest? So he spoke about, you know, spoke about the human needs and the ones that fall by the wayside and how they get them integrated back into universities to do sports degrees or, do you know what I mean? So they, I think they are doing it in, in a way that is, that, is, um, that is very, very good, as good as anywhere that I feel is around. But I honestly think that the type of players, the type of players that we are producing and a lot of it, unfortunately, comes back down to social media. Mm. It's, it's, you know, I know we, we use it, Gary. I know that's how you and I have come to get in touch, but I'm not sure that I agree with it for, for, for kids that are under 17 years old. Mm. You know, whereas a lot, a lot of kids now at these academies, they're more interested in how many Instagram followers that they've got rather than how many goals they're going to score on a Saturday. Mm. You know, and it, I, I'm not sure... I'm not sure I like what we're what what we're creating and, and where this monster's going, you know. Yeah, funny, one of the players here at um I was talking to the other day and she came from a culture that has produced female US players, hungry driven, and she said that it's fallen off in the past five years that players she said want exactly what you said, want the image but don't want the work. Mm. How do you yeah. change that back? Can you? Well, well, I, I don't think I don't think you can now. I think you know. No, we have things like we have little things at Northampton, for example, where players aren't allowed phones in dressing rooms. They're not allowed to get their phones out or whatever. Do you know what I mean? They're not allowed to use their phones in certain areas and this and the other. I know that um, one professional club here a few years ago banned social media for players that were under 17, 18 years old. Mm. Um, but listen, can you control it? I don't know, but I think, I think you know, half the problem is, to be honest with you, is parents' lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I think that it's got a lot of the time. You know, I always think, I always think about the grounding that I had as a youngster, and I think you know, I'm not going to say I, I definitely wasn't bullied, but I was treated. I was, you know, it's not bullying. It would be formed. It 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 would be seen as bullying now, but it's not. But bu- wasn't bullying. I call it character be- uh, building. You know, people like my father, and you know, as a, as a young player. Um, the influent- the most influential to two people on my career who are, I love dearly. One's my dad, and one was Tom Wally at Watford. Um, they gave me the t- they gave me the best grounding that I could ever receive. Now they didn't know that I was going to make it as a professional footballer, but they knew that I was going to have to go out and and be able to do something and be able to handle the big wide world. Mm. Um, I think there's there's. I think me me personally, I, I I think that we've gone, you know, we've gone down a, I think that we've gone down to a point of no return now, regards to social men, uh, media and how people were dealt with and this that and the other, you know. And John told us a very very good story uh, last week, and he sort of said uh, um, he got a bit of a problem, not a problem with a boy, but you know his mum and dad had got their head in the clouds, and the boy's got his head up there with them. And he 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 walked the kid round to the first team building. He was going round to meet someone, and um, he, the first person that he bumped into when he was in the building was Harry Kane. And John made a comment about um, about what uh, Harry said to this boy, blah blah blah, and. Said, what do you want to be? And he sort of said, Oh, well, I want something along the lines that I want 50,000 Instagram followers. And Harry turned around to him and went, Well, why don't you do your job, work hard, score goals, and then you might get them damn followers? <laughs> well, you know, and the kid and the kid's standing there with his mouth wide open, almost like Harry Kane's just spoken to me, mm. you know. But it's, uh, I think that, um, there are, there's more talent. I, I don't think that there's more talent out there than what there ever has been. I think that we've always produced talent. We've always produced ta- uh, talented players. I, I don't think that the. I don't think there's enough p- parental understanding nowadays. They don't understand football. They don't. They haven't got a clue. They don't understand the sacrifices that you have to make if you want to do what you want to do in this game. And 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 that word that I've just used then is the biggest word in football, mm. which is sacrifice. And if you're not prepared to sacrifice, you're in the wrong profession. Mm. People always assume it with just with diet, don't they? Oh, you're giving up something, but the time and where you focus that time and how you're committed to setbacks—that's that's a big part of sacrifice. Absolutely, you have to be able to. Um, you have to have a resilience. You have to have a resilience in this game. You know, yes, when the things are good, you know, and I mentor, I mentor a young Premier League footballer now. And, um, you know, part of his, or part of our conversations at times are about dealing with adversity. Because mm. it it's not always going to go right in this game. It's not, it's, it's not always, you're not always going to be playing in front of 60,000 every week. You're not always going to be fit and healthy. You're not going to play well every single game. It's how you, be, it's how you, what resilience you have and how you bounce back 
from adversity. You, you played with, you mentioned the, the role of Terry Venables and the impact he had on you uh, as a player and, and now as a coach. What, what was it about him that made him so special? Was it the knowledge or was it the personality or was it both? Both. Unbelievable knowledge. Unbelievable knowledge. And he had the, he had the personality. He had the personality to go with it. He was, uh, but I, listen, I've been very, very fortunate. Uh, I've been, you know, I, I, um, you know, I've been fortunate in playing for some great managers and I can, I can go, you know, talking about that and I go, right, well, I play for David Webb, who, who was like a father figure for me, signed me at Southend, but tough, tough man, but gave me a great grounding of what professional football was all about because the environment that I actually went in when I first signed for, for Southend, you know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to beat around the bush here, but it was brutal. It was a mm. brutal environment to, to, for a 19-year-old kid to um, to have to go into. Um, then I met Terry Venables. He signed me for Tottenham. You know, brilliant. I only worked for him on the first year. And I've only worked for this guy for 18 months, really, all told. For one year at Tottenham and then six, seven months at uh, Crystal Palace. But then after, you know, after Terry, you know, Ozzy Ardiles came in. You know, I wasn't necessarily his favourite player, but he had the way that he saw the game and and the and the way that he transmitted how he wanted his team to play was 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 fantastic. You know, and then I had Jerry Francis. Jerry Francis was very very influential as me as a player. Uh, helped me no end. You know, um, I didn't play under Christian Gross because I was injured. I'd been injured. I had a, I had a career-threatening injury, which was a bad time for me. But then um, David Pleat came in as director of football as I was finishing at Spurs, and he, he helped me. And like he's someone who now, um, he's a sounding board for me now. He's someone who I use as a go-to person to be able to deal with certain situations because the guy's just an encyclopedia of football, and and his knowledge is his knowledge is incredible. Um, but I played with Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce was probably as good as a man manager that I've ever played with. I've, I've played under. Um, was brilliant with me. Uh, I played with Trevor Francis after that. You know, so I've I've been very fortunate that I've played mm. for some um, for for uh, some very high caliber people. And um, the biggest thing that I, I've always looked at, especially on my on my coaching journey of over fifteen years, is that I can be able to. I'm proud to be able to turn around and say, but I, I've used something that they they taught me something in football and in life. They've all taught me something, something that I've always got to be in a situation where I I will take a little bit from all of those and then put it into my own way. You know. Mm-hmm. What what about because you worked alongside Brendan Rogers at Reading in his the younger stages of his development? Was yeah. there was there something there that did just did something stand out that you know from a coaching development point of view that looked as if that he's gonna go very far? Brendan Brendan uh working with Brendan obviously I have been on the job about five five, six years. I actually met Brendan in two thousand and Three two thousand and four. I was doing my level three. I think I was doing my level three assessment with his academy boys at Reading, 
and um, great guy, got on really well with him. Um, we become friends. I started going to Reading Academy and watching him work, and all, straight away he sort of gave, gave me ideas, his ideas, and then he's gone to Chelsea and what have you. So and we stayed in touch, and then obviously I was very honoured that he asked me to be his assistant when we went to when he went to Watford. Um, the guy is uh, is a he's a top top coach, as good. As good as uh, I've I've been lucky to be involved with, um, his his methodology of how he does things, um, his delivery, um, the way that he gets the players to understand it, and also the standards that he sets. Um, I think you know to start off with that that for me, you know for the the year and a bit that we were together Watford and Reading, even though the Reading thing didn't go particularly well. Um, that, uh, um, from a coaching point of view, was was a fantastic learning curve for me. Um, taught me a hell of a lot. Um, inspired me to learn Spanish, which I've been doing now for the last seven years. But he was a fluent speaker, and he got me into that. So that was something that and it's something that I love doing now. I love I love still continuing with that. But gave me. Um, but open my eyes really open. It opened the box like he opened the door for me. Uh, but it opened the box for 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 me and let a lot of ideas that I have um, and a lot of creativity that I had lot locked inside to let it out. You know. Whenever you worked, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank at Northampton. Yeah. Does a foreign ex-pro approach coaching any different than an English ex-pro? Um, I think from Jimmy's point of view, probably not not so much because he's spent a hell of a lot, a hell of a long time in um, in England, and he's done all his coaching badges in England as well. Mm-hmm. So, and in being involved in the environments that he's been in, he uh, like J- Jimmy's more English than me, to be honest with, with you. Like, <laughs> he speaks better English than me, anyway, that's for sure. But um, I think that his approach is more English. He's more English for me. Whereas working with uh, Slavisa and Kike, you know they are they are different. They are a bit different in how they approach it and what they want to do and how they want to go about it. Um, but like top top coaches, mm. top coaches, but have a different method. When you when you just said Slavisa and and Kike there, how difficult was it? Or was it more enjoyable to work with a coach to facilitate the work with the players? A different language, different views, different backgrounds. Was that challenging? Uh, it was challenging, but it was a good. Um, it was a really. It was a great experience to have. So it was um, from a point of view with Slavisa. Probably went in went into Watford in the January. He'd been there since the September October. What. They were doing okay, but it wasn't really, really clicking together. Um, I got asked as uh, as a, a sort of uh, someone who, who could speak a bit of Spanish to um, to sort of be a, a, a sort of an English coach in a foreign environment, if you like, you know, to be able to help an English club. And um, Matt Slavisa got on got on famously well, and. Um, 
I just went in really and he sort of said, look, be very comfortable. I'm not expecting you to come in and start changing the world or anything like that. We'll, we will talk. You can observe. You can get as involved as you want to get involved to, at the moment. And I thought, well, I am normally one of them people that goes head first and dive in and want to, and want to, want to contribute or feel like I'm contributing. But I think a lot older and a lot wiser, I sort of said, right, I knew one or two of the boys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my time with this one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna observe. I'm gonna observe a bit. I'm gonna observe the, some of the training, and I'll start speaking to some individuals and perhaps trying to help some individuals in regards to some information and helping them improve and and what have you. So that was how I went. I went around it in a completely different way to what probably a young Dean Austin of. 35 would have done, you know, compared to a 44-year-old Dean Austin. So, um, but it was good. And then more and more, more and more involvement and, you know, more and more tactical talks, tactical information exchange, speaking more about English football and the championship and how different the league was and being able to deal with Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday for three weeks in a row because they're not used to that in, in other countries, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I was, um, you know, I was proud of my, con- I, I think I was proud of my contribution there. And I'd like to think that, you know, well, I know that Slav regards me as a friend and uh, a very good friend because we still speak uh, quite often and and speaking, of, uh, hopefully that, you know, I learned a lot off of him, but I'm hoping that he might have took a few bits off me because of how well he's doing now at Fulham. Mm. Um, Kike, Kike was uh, slight, slightly different. Um, wanted information before he came in. Uh, before he came in in pre-season, he and I sat down, had a long, long conversation about players, systems, our where Watford potentially was at the moment, where we had to kind of get it to, what we could get it to. Um, would ask me my opinion. Um, on most stuff, spoke a lot about English football, and then but the guy when he first went on the training field the first day, I think that you know the boys at Watford stood up and went, well, "Yeah, this bloke is he's good. This bloke, he sort of oozed that little bit of class. You could tell he'd been a Champions League semi finalist type thing. You know, great tactical knowledge, knew exactly what he wanted, knew how he was going to go about to get it. You know, so as I say, you know, I've been I've been blessed really. Um, but you know, at the moment, it's um, um, always looking at the next challenge or or, or what's next. You know, you yeah, because it's uh, everything's about learning experiences for me. Yeah, you mentioned there about about learning Spanish. Like it's such a we talk about like I I I would tweet something out about growth mindset, and everyone you know would get how many how many retweets or favorites, but how many yeah. is are actually doing stuff that is different or that is challenging them. How many, you know, how do you view that there? I think that in this country, I think in this country that such is the, um, I think there's a, because there's not that many jobs, because there's that not that many jobs in it, or there seems to be a lot of people all going for the same job. I think that in this country, it's almost become a game of survival. And people just want to get on with their own job and this, that and the other. I don't know how many people, you know, I, I always, 
I always set, set, set down for 20 minutes on the way home at the end of a week uh, with, my, with my diary and what have you, and I will reflect on the week um, as, as, from a personal point of view. What did I think I did well? What do I think I need to do better? Where do I think I could help a little bit more or where could I... And then give myself a couple of targets each week. And I still do that now. Um, you know, I, I still do my Spanish class once a week. One of the challenges I have at the minute is being able to try and fit 10 minutes a day into to write about my daily day in Spanish because it's a way of tr- getting fluent more uh, or sort, sort, sort of quicker. But to, I know that for me to be totally fluent, that's not going to happen until I, if I go and live in Spain for six months. Um, and probably six months in Spain now for me would probably do it because um, I'm quite a long way down the road with it. But I just always, uh, uh, I think you always have to be able, I, I think in this country, I think we get very, very much wrapped up in our jobs and I don't think that we spend enough time, or I don't feel that people, are, well, I don't know that they do, but from people that I know, they don't. I don't think that enough time is spent on self-reflection and um, and how you improve yourself. I mean, we can all go on courses because we all have to, but or not have to, but sort of thing like for me this year, I've got to revalidate my pro license. This is the third time I'll have been back to Wales or third time back to Cardiff. You know, in 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 the last uh, nine nine years, from when I, I I passed my pro license, you have to go and put their time in. Um, so we have to do that. I I think it's about sometimes with people and coaches. Do you want to go? And it, it's hard because um, time management um, is something that you have to learn also. You talked uh, about the resilience and the ups and downs of playing. Obviously, the same applies to coaching. Um, a plenty more more downs than ups, probably. How do you? Yeah. Without, <laughs> how do you get through the tough parts? Um, I think it's. I think it's never. It's it's never easy. It's you know. I'm lucky. I've got I've got great family around me. You know, I've got a lovely wife and I've got four wonderful boys. You know, and. The young ones, I, I still coach them. I still coach their teams. I coach one on a Wednesday night and one on a Thursday night, um, which is something that I enjoy because I enjoy being around my family. As in regards to professionally, um, how do you how do you deal with the good times? How do you deal with the bad times? <sighs> to be honest with you, I don't get. <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. I don't get. I, I do get. I do get. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not like anyone else. You know, when you when you're not in a job, but. I, I wouldn't just take a job to be in a job, you know. It would have to be something that I feel that I can contribute and that I'm going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not, if I, if A, I don't feel I'm contributing, and if B, I don't, if I'm and, and I'm not enjoying it, then I would almost sit down and reflect and go, well, is this something that's worth getting up at six o'clock in the morning for and coming home at seven o'clock every night for? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to be able to. Uh, you have to be able to enjoy what you're doing and, and enjoyment can come in many different ways. Mm. You know, it can come through learning, having learning experience within learning off someone, uh, working with a great coach or whatever. I've been fortunate. I've had highs. I've had good highs. I think I've won three or four promotions in 15 years out of from League Two all the way up to the Premier League. 
and worked in the Premier League and been involved in semi-finals and, and of FA Cups and things like that. So I've had nice experiences, some real nice experiences, but that's all I would say they are. They're just nice experiences. They're, they're just nice days. I don't get kind of too carried away with stuff when, it, when, it's, uh, uh, when it's good. And I try not to uh, get too low when it, when it becomes bad. I've, I've had spells where I, I've been out, but I always, um, I always go back to, uh, to myself. I look at myself. And, um, you know, if I, if I feel like I've got co- I have confidence in my own ability and I know to the right environment I can contribute and I know that I have something to help. I think that, uh, you know, I've had loads of different jobs and, and different experiences. Um, but you have to remain, you have to remain, never lose faith and keep and stay confident, have confidence in yourself. Mm-hmm. Brilliant, brilliant. All right, last two questions for you. Always finish the podcast up with this. Best, oh. best player you've played with. Uh, for all round, I'm going to say the all round, as in all round player, as in regards to everything. I mean, I've played out with some outstanding players that were were outstanding individuals within the team framework. But the best player that I have played with, that I would say, regards to his ability, his work ethic. You know, he was an offensive player, but he done his shift on the defensive side. This and the other, I'm going to say, Tilio Lombardo. Mm. He would have been some player in his prime because you got him later, right? Absolutely. Mm. But um, I would say that, um, you know, he was, I mean, he was playing in a, in a not so good Crystal Palace team at that time. I would have loved to have seen him playing like the great Tottenham side that I played in in, 90, in, 90, in between 92 and 96. Best player played against? I've got two. There's two. Um, Ryan Giggs and David Ginola. Mm. But David I also played with as well. So I played with him. But um, Ryan Giggs, just because of his of, of what he was and how good he was, um, listen, I... I loved the challenge, and I had many a battle with him uh, that I really enjoyed. And I can't, I would never turn around and say that on any particular day that he absolutely ripped me to pieces because he never. Um, although he was a great, great player, and he, listen, it was uh, they were always good battles. Uh, but I'll say David Ginola because he gave me probably half an hour, half an hour, probably the worst half an hour of my of, of my playing career when I played against him. Uh, he was at Newcastle at the time and uh, he was just on a different level. But I also played with him and he was a lazy so-and-so when you didn't <laughs> have the ball. So, but uh, but he, he, wasn't, um, he wasn't enjoyable to play against them. Uh, two, two traditional wingers but different types, right? Yeah, you had Ryan who was uh, quick, super quick, uh, agile, skillful, Direct, um, and David, who uh, he he was deceptively quick, but such was his power and his strength that he, he would go by you and go away from you for ease. And if he did that and he got along, alongside you, he didn't get the ball off him. 
but he also had the ability. Uh, he, you know, he he, had, he could see a pass like so more than Ryan at the time. He, he he could see a pass. He could he could find an assist that other people couldn't play, but he could take it off both feet and. You didn't know, never know. If he, when he was playing wide, you wouldn't know whether he was going to go left or right. He had the ability to go both. Um, and, you know, in the side that he played in at Newcastle, he was obviously given the licence to not come back. So it was a fallback when you normally think, right, well, I, I want to get the winger going back the other way. I need to work him. He had a licence that he didn't have to come back. So when the game broke down, he would get back on the ball and then you'd be recovering while he's going forward. And that was also very difficult. So... But different types, but both absolute legends, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Dean, thank you so much. This has absolutely been been brilliant insight into just different aspects of coaching, playing, and and a lot of personal growth as well. So very inspiring. Um, Thanks for joining us. No, it's a bit of pleasure, Gary, any time at all. Best of luck for the rest of the season, and then hopefully we'll, we'll get you on again at some stage. Whenever you want, mate. Whenever you want. And good luck to yourself as well. Thanks, Dean. Thanks so much. Thanks very much to Dean for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, I, there's always takeaways and some people get different things out of different podcasts. And for me, a couple of things on that one. Number one was the self-reflection piece, was the, you know, to sit back after a day and write about your reflections and write about your thoughts and you know, not only does that give you a little bit of a roadmap in terms of your experiences and maybe learning from those experiences, but it also puts you in good habits. As you know, when you write an email, sometimes you, <laughs> when I write emails, maybe not anyone else, but when I write emails, especially when I used to do, uh, we brought in um, Donna Fister with the program, and I used to bounce ideas off her. And when I put put it in email and put it in writing, I saw it glaringly in front of me. I was almost embarrassed to send some of them because you know when, well, sometimes when you write you're just taking the time to put things down and, and thinking about it when you're writing it and, and it becomes a little bit more clear so I think doing that every day is, is a great great way to improve as a coach and improve that self-awareness piece which is so so important today because if you don't understand yourself and what you're thinking and why you're thinking what you're thinking then it's going to be very very difficult to, to move forward all the time and continue to grow. Uh, and the second piece that I got from it was, was just when he was talking about the language and learning something. And again, everyone says we're trying to get better growth mindset. We're all raving about it, but are we really doing it? And it's something that, you know, if, if you know, it's got, it's opened doors for Dean. And I always think that there, that people are, again, I think I've done a podcast on that where it's people are saying that, well, such and such got this job and such and got that, got that job. But if if Dean got the Watford assistant job from Kike Sanchez Flores because he knew Spanish, then I would take it he deserved that job. So you make you make your own luck most of the time, if not all the time, and, and he's definitely done that there. So a highly, highly motivated man who you can still you can still hear that drive and that kind of steely determination that he has and a view towards the game where you know it's it hardens you sometimes the the setbacks and the disappointments hardens your experiences and it can be a tough tough game especially in England where the life span for a manager and coach is so so small but um, you can also hear his enthusiasm for the game and how he says it as well that he loves it and he can't 
he can that's why he works with the youth academy and he still does you know with his boys and stuff like that and i think that's a great mix um, that i hope to have you know as i get older and as i become a father and and with my little boy playing i hope i still enjoy the game and and want to be around it every day of the week um, even as I have more experiences and more bad experiences that are no doubt on the way. So hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I always appreciate you listening. If you have time, please, please, please give it a shout out on Twitter. Always trying to grow it and always appreciate the little messages here and there. Hey, listen to this one. That was good. Um, and even even some suggestions for the future always, always come in handy. So again, you can find me on Twitter at Gary Kernine, Facebook Coach Kernine, or if you wanted to go and shoot me an email, gary at modernsoccercoach.com. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.